Hello, and welcome to today's Unpacked Short. I'm Charlie Pickles, I'm Managing Editor here at Unheard, and I'm joined, of course, by our Unpacked Guru, Peter Franklin. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Peter. Peter just had a week off, so we're delighted that he is back uh, and we can restart our Unpacked Shorts. So today, we are talking about George Osborne. I'm sure everybody is aware who that is, but our former uh, Chancellor, uh, now the editor of, well, well now the, the holder of many, many jobs, but including the editor of the Evening Standard. And we're specifically talking about why he might want to celebrate the date of June the 23rd, which, Peter, some of us might think he might not want to be celebrating. Why are we wrong about that? Well, June the 23rd, uh, 2016, was, of course, the date of the Brexit referendum, which uh, resulted in many changes, including to uh, Mr. Osborne's career trajectory. Um and but it's also an anniversary of something else, um, as pointed out by Tom Arnold in City Metric, and that is um, his Northern Powerhouse speech, which he gave in um, Manchester, I think it was, I think four years ago, um, and which you know has, in some ways, one could almost foresee circumstances in which it may eventually prove to be the more significant anniversary. Very interesting. Okay, so for, I mean, most people will know what the Northern Powerhouse is, but just for anyone who isn't aware of what that means, can you just quickly, in a couple of sentences, explain what what was George Osborne's speech about the Northern Powerhouse? Basically, it was about England's northern cities, which have been bywords for industrial, post-industrial decline for many decades. Sort of like the American Rust Belt, really. That's the kind right, of flyover yes. communities, as we would call them. Indeed. Um, but um, seem to have got a real boost from this new um, ideas of devolution away from London, um, empowering uh, local community leaders through, for instance, the election of um, metropolitan mayors. Um, and and other sort of decentralising measures like that, all encapsulate, all coming under this rather good um, slogan of the Northern Powerhouse, which, unlike most government sort of political buzzwords, has stuck around, and actually the North of England has kind of made it its own. Um, and I think it's it's um, you know if you look at what's happened since. Um, by and large, we've seen, you know, really good levels of job creation in in the north as well as the south, which you know for, you know, recoveries of the British economy, is fairly unprecedented that you've had kind of parity of recovery between north and south. And this, I mean, it's really about rebalancing, I suppose, the the economy. And actually, this is. Um, was the subject of an article, a very good article we had uh, recently from Philip Blonde. Mm, yeah. um, but importantly, he was making the distinction between investment in a place-based sense, and, and by that I mean kind of infrastructure, sort of, you know, kind of uh, devolution of levers of, of power, if you like, versus investing in people and, yes. you know, really making sure that the people um, either stay uh, in the north or yeah. the areas they live in, or can be attracted 
into the North. And, and he really makes the distinction in his piece between sort of, I suppose, a purely economic focus, which, you know, arguably is some of the job creation stuff, and one which is much more focused around culture. Yes. Um, by referring to people, he means especially the high flyers, you know, the sort of top level graduates, the natural leaders of business and politics and culture and whatever. Um, and it's true that a lot in a lot of countries you see that the you know the most talented individuals, if you want to think of talent in that way, is um, in sort of the more uh, sort of economic backwaters. Um, they often lose their high flyers as they go to the capital cities, the big big sort of metropolises and in more kind of thriving areas. And it's a, it's a bit of a vicious circle. Um, and so the point that Philip Blonde was making is that recovery does depend on these areas being able to retain their natural leaders or indeed attract them from elsewhere. OK, and so we want both people and infrastructure, though, and kind of investment, as well as um, true decision making power in these communities and and that's one of the things that you really focus on in this unpacked it's the idea that it can't be devolution designed by London or designed by Westminster it actually has to be decisions taken by and for the people in those local communities absolutely and it's it's um you know having people that really understand an area um should in itself result in better decisions right um that should be obvious, although it hasn't been that obvious to the civil service and the power brokers of Whitehall and Westminster for, for many decades. But there's another reason, is that it, it's not just the quality of the decision-making, it's the fact that the decision-making is actually happening in those communities and makes it worthwhile for people to, you know, the high flyers, to say, actually, I'm staying here because... For the first time in ages, we're actually in charge of our own destiny. And this links back, Peter, to your point um, that you made at the start of the conversation around the metro mayors, because one of the kind of perennial criticisms, if you like, of local government has been the calibre of people uh, who are there. And so, you know, one of the arguments against evolution is that, well, you know, they haven't got the capacity or the capability in local areas uh, to actually use these Mm. new powers. But actually what we saw... Um, with the Metro Mayor elections was some really big beast individuals standing there because they understood that they would be able to affect real change. Absolutely. And um, I think this is one case in which the British can learn a few lessons from the French because in France, even cabinet ministers often remain city mayors. You know, um, because whilst they are cabinet whilst, ministers. Yes, yes, while they're senior people in Paris... They're also running cities back home as mayors because it's seen as such a high-profile, important job that it, it, it adds immensely to their um, status as national-level politicians. Well, and ar- arguably you could say also keeps them more connected to those communities that in Cabinet they should be able to represent. Well, indeed, yes, um, there's that as well. But it, you know, it... It's, it's seen as a genuinely important job. And if those cities are truly running themselves, then it is a really important job. So, you know, uh, you know, I think 
what we've seen over the last four years is the increasing confidence um, in, in uh, England's Midlands, Northern cities. Um, it j just goes to show that you trust people, you give people the ability to determine their own future and you know people will step up to the job and and really get stuck in and 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 feel inspired by it well there we go if mr osborne can do multiple jobs now then why not allocate each of the cabinet members uh, a city to run at the same time we'll, we'll see how people feel about that Thank you very much, Peter. As ever, a fascinating discussion. Thank you, James, for producing this podcast. And of course, thank you all for listening. Um, please do subscribe if you haven't already uh, and rate us if you've enjoyed this conversation and tune in to our next one.